to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God is not only, is not only a, thrilling, a thrilling pursuit, it is absolutely necessary for our spiritual survival. Spurgeon once said, nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout and earnest continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. And while humbling and expanding, this subject is eminently comforting. Oh, there is in contemplating Christ, he says, a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quieting of every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is a remedy for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity and you shall come forth as from a bed of rest, refreshed and reinvigorated. I know nothing that can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling waves of sorrow and grief, so speak to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of God. From the highest heights to the deepest depths. We need to know God. On a personal level, I always kind of assume that focusing on God is what would lead to my spiritual thriving. Little did I know that God was also teaching me about what it would take for my spiritual surviving. The Lord once declared these words through the prophet Jeremiah. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Today's passage is a prayer for the Ephesian believers to that end. Our passage is Ephesians 1 verses 15 through 17. So hear the word of our glorious God. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So we ask for this very thing at this moment. Father, give us the spirit. Father, give us the spirit so that we might have wisdom and revelation to understand the fullness of who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen. One of the reasons that we've been preaching through the book of Ephesians, verse by verse, and at times phrase by phrase, is because of verse 17. So that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you the spirit of wisdom 
and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That's why we're working book through this book slowly and deliberately so that we might come to know him. The only way, the only way to come to a greater wisdom and understanding of God and all that he's done for us in Christ is to be regularly exposed to the truth about him. The Bible is ultimately a revelation of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it is the central place his glory will be revealed in ever-deepening ways by the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't just true for us. Paul thought the exact same thing regarding the believers who are in Ephesus, which, which I think is at least in part why he actually wrote them a letter which was later included in our canon of Scripture. The Ephesian believers belonged to really a fledgling church in an area that was absolutely rampant with sexual sin and was openly hostile to the gospel message. You'll remember when Paul was teaching in that area the gospel message was so disturbing to the people of the town that they all gathered together in their enormous arena and for two straight hours began to chant, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they wouldn't stop chanting, all in opposition to the gospel message regarding Jesus Christ as the one and only sovereign of the universe. And yet, despite this opposition and this open hostility, this, this danger, frankly, the first thing the Apostle Paul prays for, for the Ephesians, was that the Father would give them the Spirit so that they would know God better. Not physical protection, not victory over the masses, not favor with all the leaders, and these are all good things. But he prayed that these believers would know God as a matter of first importance. Now, I think this is the main takeaway for us pastorally. Think for a moment about growth group and and be willing to share this week as we discuss this. Where does your emphasis tend to be in terms of your prayers? No matter what we're facing this morning... We need to know God and understand the glory of his grace more than we need anything else. It is good to pray for everything in our lives, but it is sinful to miss this central truth. But if, if we grasp this and this begins to fuel our prayers and shape our prayers, it has the potential to change absolutely everything for us in terms of our perspective of what is happening in our lives. 
So let's just begin then with verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. There's a transition happening here from the the glory of everything that that Paul has been sharing in verses 3 through 14 to the glory of everything that Paul is praying in the verses that follow. He begins by saying, for this reason. In other words, because we have been chosen in Christ and blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, because we've been loved and adopted by God the Father, Because the Son has redeemed us through His blood, because our sins have been forgiven in Him, because God is revealing His purposes to us in Christ, because the Spirit has sealed us, and because we are secure in Him forever, because we as Gentiles have been grafted into the family of God along with the Jewish people, and because we graciously receive the same inheritance Jesus Christ deserves and earned to the praise of God's glorious grace for this reason, Paul says, Since I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I've been thanking God for his work in you, and I've been thanking God for his work through you every time, every time I pray. Now, this is a reason to be exceedingly thankful. That is, when a person expresses faith in Jesus Christ. When that happens here, and when someone, as a matter of faith and obedience, says that they want to be baptized. Basically, we pull everybody into the sanctuary. We pull the Sunday school teachers out. We pull the the children's classes out because we want to celebrate God's saving grace. We want to rejoice together as a family, as the family of God. But this isn't the only family that gets to rejoice in the celebration. It's not not just this family, it's our heavenly family as well. The Lord Jesus once said in Luke 15, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 righteous persons. Basically, Luke 15 and verse 7 says that there will be rejoicing by the angels and Luke 15.10 says, they were, there will be rejoicing before the angels. More than likely, that includes just men made perfect. And more than likely, that includes God rejoicing that a sinner has repented and has come home. Heaven rejoices because of one repentant sinner. Because heaven understands what is at stake. Praise God. Praise God for the reality of the gospel. Paul's also thankful because he's heard of the love that the Ephesians are demonstrating toward other believers in Jesus. He's rejoicing because this is a characteristic marker in the New Testament of genuine faith in Jesus. Perhaps even more strongly, more than a characteristic marker, in many ways, love for the saints is the defining marker of God's people in the New Testament. After Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, he said, 
a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So right away, let's, let's ask the Spirit of God to be revealing to us whether or not our lives are reflecting love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. If, 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 if our lives are doing that, praise God for the work of His Spirit. Praise God for the presence of His Holy Spirit. If not, why not? Why, why is that not the case? And if not, let's, let's, let's obey this text immediately. Let's pray. Let's pray that God would open our eyes to see the greatness of what God has done for us in Christ. And let's let that fuel then, in turn, our love for the beloved saints of God. Upon hearing that the Ephesians had expressed faith in Jesus and were loving the saints, Paul thanked God every time he prayed. But let's pause here for a moment and and basically take inventory of what Paul is saying here. Let's think about the way it informs what he's saying in verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. The reason this is important is because the reality of the situation is that Ephesus was a messy place spiritually. This this young church was a messy place spiritually. People from polar opposite spectrums of life, Gentile converts and Jewish believers in Jesus are coming together, attempting to be unified in Christ. That's the overarching theme of of the letter. Frankly, Paul's personal life, his personal situation is messy here. Let's not forget, he's writing from prison He's not on a spiritual retreat where he's spending this glorious alone time with God and says, I think I'm going to write a New Testament epistle. It's going to be awesome. He's pleading with them to know God, and he's pleading with them to know God from his prison cell. Why? Why? Why is Paul thankful? He's thankful because the flame of the gospel is burning. And that is a reason to be thankful, no matter how messy it is. When our world is a mess, when our church friends are a mess, when our own lives are a mess, sometimes we wonder, is there anything practically I can even do about this mess? Our tendency happens to be to be kind of swallowed up by our circumstances. And our circumstances then begin to dictate 
what we do and how we live and even how we pray. But look at how the, basically how the theological richness of what Paul knew to be true about God and about his grace, look how it informs his prayers, fueling thankfulness in him and thankfulness to God for God's work in others. Essentially, in light of who God is and all that he has done for us in Christ, how then shall we pray? The first answer to the question is, with exceedingly great thankfulness, no matter what we're facing. Anytime the hope of the gospel is present in its true form, it is a reason to rejoice. Difficult circumstances or difficult people in our lives, even within the church, they are not merely obstacles that need to be overcome or challenges to be endured. Often, they are the backdrop against which the light of the gospel shines most brightly in our lives. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. I mean, from, from potty training in Maryville, Tennessee, which is challenging, to reaching unreached people groups in Papua New Guinea and every challenging circumstance in between. If, if the hope of the gospel is alive, there is a reason to be thankful in prayer. More specifically, there is opportunity to express thankfulness to God for others. In light of who God has revealed himself to be and in light of what God has revealed to us about the purpose that he has set forth in Christ, the question is, how then shall we pray both for ourselves and for others? The answer is verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. What we all need above all other things is for the spirit to reveal more and more to us about God so that we might know him as fully as possible because that's what changes us. Strategies don't change us. They help us to manage. They help us to get along. But they don't transform us. Seeing a vision of the greatness of the glory of God is what transforms us from the inside out. It's what makes possible surviving, even thriving in the midst of difficult circumstances. So far from spiritually thriving, however, if you think about the crookedness of the way this world works, just recall our time spent in Ecclesiastes. So far from thriving, we won't even survive spiritually without this perspective. J.A. Packer says, we are, we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. 
The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place, and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant busyness. For those who do not know God, disregard the the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. You can waste your life and lose your soul this way. Our aim in studying the Trinity must be to know God himself better. Packer says our concern must be to enlarge our acquaintance with him, not simply with the doctrine of God's attributes, but with the living God whose attributes they are. In other words, seeking a deeper understanding of God, not merely to study doctrine, but to truly know God is a matter of spiritual life and spiritual death. When was the last time that you, that you, were, you were reading God's word and, and, and you saw something? You saw something incredible about God. And in that moment you said, Father, help me to understand this. Reveal this more fully to me so that I might know you, so that I might love you, and I might understand how much I'm loved by you. Spirit, please move in my heart. Show me this. Reveal the glory of Jesus through this. I mean, maybe never. I don't pray like that when I'm reading God's word. Shamefully, I don't pray that way when I'm preparing to preach God's word. Thank God. Thank God for the Trinity. Thank God for the Father and the Son and the Spirit who is committed to being known and to knowing us even when we're not. It's, it's the Trinity that's on full display. Did you notice that in, in verse 17? Some translations translate it differently here, but in this case, I think the ESV nails it. The essence of it is that we are to ask the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, to give us the Spirit so that we can gain further wisdom and revelation specifically about God himself so that we might know him. One time when I was in college, um, I was being interviewed, uh, I can't remember what it was for, some leadership thing, I think, and, and the person asked me what person I would most want to be stuck on a deserted island with and, and, and why. And I said something to them like, do you mean other than Jesus? As if that were the only obvious answer to the question. (laughs) She kind of looked at me like, tell me a little bit more about what you're saying. And I basically said, look, if he's God, then he would obviously be the most interesting person to talk to for weeks on end anywhere, right? And if he's not, and you don't think he is, he's still the most famous person who's ever lived, and it's not even close. She seemed to nod, thinking that what I said made sense, which... 
which I think it does. But the reality is, thankfully, that we don't need to be on a deserted island in order to commune with Jesus. Because of what Jesus has accomplished through the gospel, we have full access to the Father and the Son and the Spirit 100% of the time every single day. I love that phrase, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we see it here in verse 3 and a version of it here in verse 17. You know, if you were walking around Galilee or if you were walking around Jerusalem in the first century, and if you had the opportunity to meet Jesus, if you had the opportunity further to follow him around for a while, at some point when you observed his life, as you observed him in prayer, as you observed him communing with the Father, at some point, the thought would have struck you, I want to know and I want to love the God to whom this man prays. He prays to him and talks to him as his father. I'm confident of this because that's exactly what happened to the disciples. They followed him around and eventually they said, Teach us to pray. They were so impacted by how he interacted with his father and his God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is God. And Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, prayed to the Father repeatedly as his God. The saving work of redemption was a work of the Father and the Son and the Spirit that revealed the nature and the character of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And communing with God in prayer is also a work of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, which further reveals the nature and the character of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. This is as privileged as it gets. In John 17, at the end of his ministry, Jesus prayed for us, talking to his Father through the Spirit, asking that we would be invited into that relationship. Miracle of miracles. In Isaiah's powerful prophecy about the, about the coming one, in Isaiah 11.2, he says about him, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. How glorious is the person of the Holy Spirit. What is so powerful is that what was prophesied about the coming one in Isaiah 11 came to fruition in the baptism of Jesus when the Father thundered from heaven and the Spirit descended upon him as a dove and rested, rested on Jesus. 
the rather unfathomable miracle is that in Christ, because of our union with Christ, the Holy Spirit himself rests upon us, even indwells us. The Holy Spirit leads us, and he's the only one who can do this, leads us to a deeper and fuller understanding of God through the revelation of God's word. This this is how Paul explains it in 1 Corinthians 2. Just worship the Holy Spirit as you hear these words. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, you are so worthy of praise. Now, we've not received the Spirit of the world, but Paul continues, and this is really the the essence of it. But the Spirit who is from God, we have received the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. That's exactly what Ephesians 1, 15 through 17 is. This is why we must be in the Word and why we must ask the Spirit of God to reveal God's glory to us. He's the only one who knows and understands God. And he can handle what he knows about us. Thank God. Thank God. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are ever interceding for us, even in our prayers. That's why God calls us to to increase in knowledge and specifically to grow in grace. What God wants to display through us and what God wants us to experience more deeply is the fullness of the glory of his incomparable grace. It's exactly what he says in Ephesians 1 and verse 6. He's doing all of that rather impressive stuff so that his glory, the glory of his grace, would be put on display. And and he wants the Spirit to help us to see that and to understand that. Because that's what will change us. The, Peter exhorts us as plainly as possible in this area. He says, listen, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Second Peter 3.18. Hosea warned us in this way. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So Hosea also exhorted us. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. Hosea 4 and Hosea 6. Do you know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to put your faith in him now. Ask God's spirit to move in your heart so that your eyes would be open, so that you would see the glory of Jesus and say, I need him. I don't fully understand him. I don't fully understand the gospel, but I need Jesus more than I need anything. 
so that you might come to faith in him at this very moment. What if you don't know if you know Jesus? Shouldn't you be terrified? Shouldn't you be filled with anxiety? Maybe you are. What's the solution? What's the answer? The answer is that Jesus says he knows you. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Even if your faith fails, Jesus Christ will never fail. The reason we need not fear is because of the very, the very gospel itself. Paul explains that any spiritual pedigree or perceived privilege or any ministry success upon which Paul might base his acceptance before God, Paul says that was crucified on the cross of Calvary. Specifically, he says in Philippians 3, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And here's here's the truth. Here's the gospel truth we need right now that frees us. And Paul says, to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The reason Paul is not fearful is because he's dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. I have zero interest of standing before God. Zero interest of standing before God in heaven, dressed in the filthy rags of my own righteousness. But I I can't wait. I can't wait to stand before the throne of God, dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, my Lord. To be a believer in Jesus, to know Jesus, is to be covered by the righteousness of Jesus forever. This is the secret that that fueled Paul's unrelenting thankfulness and unrelenting joy despite his circumstances. And in the first century, Paul knew this was the truth that the Ephesians needed to know more fully than they needed to know anything else. And we too, brothers and sisters, we too need to know God and understand the glory of his grace more than we need anything else. So I guess not that much has changed in the past 2,000 years. Let's pray together. Uh, Spirit of the living God, I'm hesitating, um, not because I'm scared, 
but because I don't want to presume to tell you what you might want to do. And so I and we bow our hearts in submission to you and ask you to lead us now. Please give us wisdom and revelation so that we might come to more fully know and understand your love for us and the greatness of the glory of the gospel. Cause our hearts now, I ask, to overflow with praise and lead us in whatever way you desire. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.